Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. said something funny to me or at least seemed funny to me a minute ago which is that you got into this thing a couple of years ago and you didn't realize that you'd never be able to get out which i have heard that sentiment from from many people who have even sat in that chair in the last two or three days uh, for the people that don't know you could you very briefly talk about how you got involved in this whole thing and then we'll talk about the issues of the day yeah this whole mess how did i get myself in this position well i'm uh I'm 27. I'm Dutch. So uh, my name is Eva Vlaardingerbroek. The last name is always a tough one for... We're going to spell it properly. Yeah, thank you. Here. Thank Don't you. Worry. It's uh, it's a tough one even for the Dutch. I, I really, yeah. I need to get married, you know, for multiple <laughs> reasons, but that's definitely one of them. Would make my life easier. Uh, yeah, I do political commentary, uh, mostly for an international audience right now, because uh, not exactly liked very much, let's just say, uh, that way in my home country, uh, especially not by the legacy media and the establishment. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm a lawyer. I uh, I got started almost in a uh, yeah, it was almost a coincidence. I uh, I was in university as a law student, and um, I this was during the refugee crisis in Europe, so 2014-15, and uh, I was quite critical of the the you know the general policies in Europe, Merkel's idea of just opening the borders uh, without any any stop or limitation to it, basically. And I said, well, guys, maybe this is not a, a great idea. And that got me in trouble with uh, my professors, with my fellow students. And um, I spoke to a journalist about it uh, one time at an event. And he's like, would you want to tell your story about you know, the, the, the left wing hegemony at the university and, and you know how you feel like academic freedom isn't really a thing anymore? And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> I will change my life overnight. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened. And then I, I came to realize very quickly that um, most of the doors that I thought were open to me as a young law student had closed and that there was really no way, no way back and only one way that was uh, yeah, forward. So I continued to speak out and uh, I did so first on a national level. I had a, a brief story in Dutch politics, which was a straight up disaster. And then I figured, no, I'm, I'm going to go independent and... Uh, and take it to a higher level and, and do my commentary in English. So that's uh, that's kind of how that happened. So for people that don't know that much about Holland, I just mentioned to you, I, I've been there many times. I have family there. I really love the culture. And in some ways, at least Amsterdam to me, seems like a place where some coexistence has worked better maybe than a little bit of what I'm seeing here in London or Paris, for example. I'm not totally sure you're agreeing with me. And that's just, that's just fine. If not, that, that's what I can tell you as a tourist. Mm, but sure. feel free to offer the counter um but the reason i bring it up is because i don't think most people have a sense of what's going on in Holland. they think about Amsterdam and they think about coffee shops right w what would you want people to know about sort of the makeup of Holland and i guess maybe the geography and where it sort of sits within what's going on across europe right now sure well i mean you're not wrong if you go to amsterdam um it, it seems especially if you're in the city center that maybe it's because everyone's stoned 
<laughs> or you were no. Yeah, okay. <laughs> kidding. No, it's uh it's uh it's it's quite a segregated city. So, you know, the it's ruled by the left and a lot of champagne socialists. Uh, so the housing prices are, are ex- extremely high and so nobody really can afford to live in the city center and uh, that pushes, you know, the usually the immigrants out. Yeah. Uh, and so we have, just like in, in, in French cities and stuff, we have suburbs that are highly, highly uh, dominated by, by migrant groups, especially from non-Western countries. Because, well, just like everywhere in Europe, you know, most of the immigrants that we get are from the Middle East or from Africa, North Africa, but also Sub-Saharan Africa. A lot of um, Muslim immigrants come to, come to Europe. So, you know, it's obviously a, a difference between our immigration influx in that sense and um and about the immigrants that you guys have coming in through the southern border um so amsterdam can give you maybe a bit of a skewed picture of what is going on we are a very small country and we are extremely densely populated Mm -hmm. um i would say yes maybe at first glance it doesn't it doesn't look as bad as it is maybe in in london or in paris but it's a a matter of time i think uh, we're sitting on a ticking time bomb and we have open borders uh, obviously within the European Union so people can travel freely which uh, people really like because you don't have to show your passport the border going from the Netherlands to, to Belgium but that also means that everybody who comes in anywhere within the EU can travel freely so it in a way you know we already don't have national sovereignty anymore right. so I, I remember the first time I was there I think it was in 1997 and I took a train from Amsterdam to Rome and I think you basically have to go through four or five countries, Belgium, Luxembourg, maybe something else on the way to Italy. I mean, you're basically mm-hmm. within 20 hours in four different countries. And I suppose at any point you could hop off and yeah. live whatever life you want to live, which, exactly. is, which is a bizarre notion. And it happens, right? So a lot of the, the migrants that come in through, for example, through Italy, they go to Lampedusa first. I'm sure you've seen the footage yeah, oh yeah, recently, you know, it's being swarmed. Um, but usually people don't stay there. Uh, same thing with Eastern Europe, they don't stay there because the social benefits are better in Northwestern European countries. So they all come to, to Germany, to the Netherlands, to Sweden, Norway, you know, because we're, uh, yeah, the, the nice liberal places, you know, <laughs> that offer, uh, offer the, uh, the, the softest landing, so to say. So what, what is going on with the politics of Holland? You know, obviously uh, we covered it a little bit, but probably should have done much more. And I should have you on again to discuss it. What's going on with the farmers there, uh, but also COVID stuff. Like it seems like it's like a big mix, mix of things. And also you guys are not far into political violence. I mean, Theo Van Gogh was murdered on the street in Amsterdam yeah. 25 years ago and they pinned a note on his body, you know, that they were going to come after Iandra Siali next. Yes. Of course, you know, put her on uh, the map in a sort of unfortunate way, but yeah, well, what, what's like a general state of the political? Yeah, it's, it's actually, it's good that you bring that up because I, I feel like a lot of the, the, you know, the topics that we talk about with immigration and with the climate activism and all of that, it, we're talking about it now and how bad things are now. But you're right. Um, this was in 2001 and 2002. We had two big political murders in the Netherlands. One was Theo van Gogh. He was uh, stabbed in broad daylight by an Islamist. Um, And the year after that, we had Pim Fortuyn, uh, a conservative politician who would have otherwise, if he hadn't been murdered, would have become the prime minister of the Netherlands. Mm. And he was a very, uh, he was a very flamboyant, but strong intellectual conservative. And he got shot by climate activists. And this, so we're talking 2001. I don't even remember this one. That's so bizarre. Yeah, 2001, yeah. 2002, right? So this is it's not 
as if the problems that we're dealing with now are are you know recent it's right. been going on for 20 years and nothing has changed since and things have just basically gotten worse um we uh, we've been ruled for 30 years now by uh, one specific party the vvd mm -hmm. always in a coalition format because we have we don't have a two-party system right. we have tons of parties um but yeah by the same neoliberal you know just the only thing that they care about is free market and open borders free market go you know goes hand in hand oftentimes yeah. And they've uh, they've ruled with the left, and uh, the policies have just been, well, in terms of immigration, detrimental. But agriculture is now under heavy attack. Yeah, can you talk about what's going on there for a little bit? No, yeah, sure. Yeah, I've uh, yeah I've been very involved in the fight for the Dutch farmers, uh, yeah. kind of accidentally as well. That how that happened. Um, but well, our things are all connected. That's how it happened. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the Dutch farmers. Um, we have a lot of agriculture in the Netherlands. We're a small country, but more than 50% of the land is owned by farmers. We're the second largest exporter of agricultural products in the world, right after the US, which is uh, quite you know, an, a, a large position to have as such a tiny country. Uh, and we're, we're super good at it. You know, you have family in the Netherlands and yeah. you probably know that this is something that's in our blood. The, you know, it's a, it's a century old. I've seen all the tulip fields. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, so we're really good at that. And now suddenly our government has decided that we have a nitrogen crisis and that more than 30% of all of the farms need to go because it's bad for the climate. And uh, it doesn't make any sense. Now, technically, they don't even say it's bad for the climate. They say it's bad for the, the state of the Dutch nature, which is funny, you know, because everybody's been to the mountains. Generally thought of as good for nature. <laughs> right. And and it's weird also yeah. to, to think that the people who own that land, you know, would want to see it polluted or, or see it go bad. You know, they obviously they need it to be fertile and good soil. Otherwise, yeah. they wouldn't be in business. So it's the whole notion is just I think it's all predicated on a lie and that in essence, it's, it's just a way for the Dutch government to take land away from citizens. Mm -hmm which they desperately need, and they have admitted to that, for um, new houses because we have a ever-growing population as a result of mass migration, and they don't know where to leave those people. Is there any political will, I mean, bringing it back to migration since that's sort of been the theme here, I love it. Mm. Um, I mean, is there any political will now to, to reverse some of this stuff? Well, when, it, when it's about migration, people talk about it a lot, but I feel like you know, everywhere in the Western world, in that sense, we're at an impasse uh, because we still have our borders wide open. And then people are talking about, well, we need to start re-migration. You know, we need to start sending people back home. But we're all part of all of these universal declarations of human rights. And then you have a whole apparatus of lawyers, you know, that say, well, you can't do that because you're part of this this treaty and that treaty. And it would be uh, it would be a violation of their of their human rights to, to go and think about remigration. So we're just stuck, you know. Mm -hmm. Nothing ever really happens, and I, I feel like we well, you first need to to close the doors, you know, close the gates, because um, we have a, we have a saying that translates weirdly to English, but a Dutch saying that's uh, that goes something along the lines of. Well, you know, you can mop the floor, but if the tap is still open, it's not really going to do that much. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that's what what's happening with immigration. You know, you can start talking about remigration, but if everybody's still coming in through the back door, then it's um, doesn't really make any sense. Are you? Uh, this is sort of how I've ended a lot of these interviews. Are Are you hopeful not only for your country but the West as a whole? Do you Do you sense that maybe the events of the last couple of weeks have kind of broken some people out of their slumber? That seems to be a bit of a theme here. Not I, a solution, yeah. but at least a an initial salvo, maybe? 
Right, yeah. Well, I hope so. I hope so. I feel like it's hard to deny reality, you know, when you see here 100,000 people out on the street who are very clearly not just there, you know, to support maybe Palestine, just Palestine, but that there's this this sort of cultural and even ethnic component to the stance that they're taking. And uh, it, it becomes so visible. I hope that even the sleeping masses are like, oh, okay, wait a second. But yeah, I mean, in a way, too little, too late, right? It's uh, the enemy isn't at the gate, you know, they're, they're in. <laughs> they're in the bedroom. They're in, yeah. yeah. So it's, um, am I hopeful? Well, my answer to that's always yes, because you have to be. Otherwise, you know, we're just going to sit back and do nothing. I'm also being realistic, though. The numbers don't look good. You know, the numbers really don't look good. And unless there is some sort of intense, you know, public revolt, I guess, and then obviously in peaceful ways um, against the political establishment, I don't think that anything is going to change. So people really do need to, you know, start voting for at least for the right parties, the ones that they that they've, you know, smeared as as far right for the longest time. And I think now it's. Uh, it's a question of whether or not you you want a future not about am i afraid to be maybe called far right or a nazi or a racist or whatnot it's like no those those terms shouldn't hold any you know value anymore coming from the people on the left who've allowed all of this to happen so let's fight let's fight <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. Don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on Locals at rubinreport.locals.com.